Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland. I am delighted to be coming to you once again this week, and I'm even more excited for our guest today. Um, my guest today is a uh, nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach, Tigrila Gardenia. Uh, welcome to the podcast, and tell us what's your bliss. Ooh, Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So my bliss is, um, as you see, I'm a nature inspired mentor. So for me, my bliss is connected to the plant world. I am very connected to the plant kingdom. And really that understanding that moment of comprehension when you are spending time um, in nature, when you stop thinking of nature as something outside of you, when you realize that not only is nature outside of you and you can see nature, but you can also participate in nature. And then that last piece, which is what seals the bliss is, I am nature. So that feeling of separation, that feeling of fear, all of those loneliness moments, they kind of melt away in that understanding that I'm never alone because I myself am, am an ecosystem. You know, I have gut and organs and muscles and my mind and all these pieces that seem separate and at the same time are all one. And when I expand that out and I realize that that's the way the plants are, that's the way all of life grows in this kind of mixed I and we, then um, to me, those are, those are those moments of pure presence, those moments when you, when you just sit and say, oh, I, I am. Like when, when I start to think of, you know, when you try to intellectually define the, what does it mean to say I am? It's really hard, but when you feel it because you are in that kind of nature connection and that that sense of self-connection, that's it. That's that's to me my bliss. That's that's kind of like my 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 crack cocaine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can sit there and just be in that. Yeah. It, it sounds like a lot of like you said, just kind of sitting with it. And I think we really don't do that enough, uh, especially especially in Western society. Um, I think mm -hmm. that that is something that we really are lacking. I'm curious, you, you mentioned connection in, in, in our uh, brief conversation before, uh, reconnection. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious how that came to be for you and how did that reconnection happen? How did all of this start? Yeah, so I, I live in a very unusual place. We, I call it Hogwarts for adults <laughs> in the sense that I live in a place called Dominher. It's one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. It's located in Northern Italy. And Dominher literally is a magical spiritual community um, in the middle of a very kind of pristine or um, nature connection, nature area. And so part of our philosophy here and, and our mission is this reawakening of the divine spark and this reconnection with what are what we consider the worlds. We call them the mother worlds and the, the plant world, the world of the nature spirits and such. And I'm an engineer by training um, and I'm also very scientifically inclined. So I love the intersection here that happens between spirituality, science, and kind of technology. I have a tech background. And so um, I was here, my, um, my original degree is in music engineering. So I'm a musician and I'm kind of an art, art the, it's interesting the way I approach the sort of engineering world is from this sort of creative perspective. And we have a device here called the music of the plants. It was a device that was created in order to, we thought just listen to plants, like plants create electrical signals, electrical signals are vibrations, those are frequencies, we could turn those into notes of music and cool, let's see what happens. But in working with the music of the plants, we actually discovered that the plants would respond. So as people mm. would play along, with this music the plants would respond and the first time I heard this music for me being a kind of musician or oriented towards music music has always been my conduit that's and listening to that music was like a link like like being able to understand what a plant was thinking it's like all of a sudden I could speak with a plant and have these conversations with a plant and that got me really interested in well plant intelligence and plant cognition and plant neurobiology which are all these scientific terms so much so that I eventually got a master's degree in these topics. But yeah. the point is like that started to get me down this idea of, wait a minute, plants are 
what we say is in the scientific community, there's a, there's a phrase called plant blindness. We live in a perpetual state of plant blindness. We see plants sort of as these things out there, but we don't really recognize them as beings that are here with us, for us, and collaborating with us in so many aspects. And so this whole music sort of started to take me into these conversations, into these moments. And all of a sudden I would spend time, I'm, I'm a city girl. Like I, I grew up, as you can tell, I'm not Italian from my accent. <laughs> I grew up in South Florida, you know, lots of beach, lots of sun. And I did always enjoy the landscape from the perspective of looking at it, you know, going back to to that bliss point of seeing, you know, the sun and the lights. And that was to me, oh, fire from both perspective, man-made and, you know, natural, quote unquote. So I always saw kind of, you know, concrete and earth as these, these simultaneous pieces. But listening, but going into forests and things like that, I, I didn't, I wasn't used to that. And spending time in with plants immersed in that atmosphere I hadn't done and spending more and more time kind of with the plant plant kingdom really uh, helped me understand the whole the whole concept of presence that exactly what you were saying like there was a day i remember so well i was sitting in i was walking through a, one our sacred woods temple and i was like in this you know kind of foresty environment with these giant chestnut trees and oak trees and then such and i was just walking down the path and i felt really present all of a sudden i was staring through the canopy and i felt present i felt mm. there i wasn't thinking about my past i wasn't worrying about my future i was just there and and when i started to study things like biomimicry which is kind of emulating nature and looking at nature as models i started to see how we could bring that into the city and so then i would go into cities and i would see the cracks on the wall and the dandelions growing through them and the moss growing on the pipes and all of a sudden i remembered wait a minute, this is the same as the forest. It's, it's really the same when I allow myself to make that connection to the elements. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, so it was really kind of this gradual phasing of communicating with the plants. So hearing them and then allowing, giving myself permission to truly believe what I was experiencing and to step into that presence without having to do the Om Shanti Om type of meditation. It was just, a, a, which, you know, Dom and her, we say meditation, you do with your hands anyway, it's very active. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, it was this kind of gradual steps of the more I listened, the more I saw, yeah. and the more I saw, the more I allowed to be with that. That's awesome. And you mentioned maybe a little bit of this, but you you talked about how, this doesn't just take place in the middle of a secluded forest. This can take place really anywhere, right? And mm -hmm. and specifically anywhere where maybe there is a, a, an availability for plant life to be around and for nature to kind of push through, which I think is probably anywhere. But I'm curious if there are places or times where you found that harder to connect to um, and what you do, if if that comes top of mind, if that becomes something that you're focusing on or something that you're allowing yourself to feel how that manifests in those times where it's a little more difficult. That's a fantastic question because in, I, ha I have a course that's called reconnect with the plant kingdom. And one of the sections of it, one of the modules is specifically around this topic, because what happens going back to that plant blindness, right? Plant blindness is not just not seeing the plants, but not recognizing them for everything that they are and everything that they give us. And when you really strip away those blinders, and at first it starts with the little things, like I had said, like seeing the plants growing through the cracks in the walls and, you know, being able to see the plant on the, on when the drops of water and the, the, the moss starts to grow and all these things. So you, you do realize that plants are just about everywhere. And then you start thinking about it a little bit more abstractive, extracted, like, oh, underneath the foundation of my house, are all plants, right? That's mm. that's roots everywhere. Every tree around me has those types of things. Every every look out the window, and and we know from a scientific perspective that even just looking, there was an experiment done in the 1970s around healing in a hospital, and people who had a view of a plant, even if it was just a single tree in the middle of the um, the dry the parking lot outside of the hospital would, and they were in the ICU unit after surgery, they would heal faster if they yeah. had that view. So we know that even just the visual view works, but when you go step further, you start to realize, well, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm at a table, the table's made out of wood. 
my shirt's made out of cotton. You know, my pants are made out of cotton. You know, we have viscose, we have cellulose, we have all kinds of different elements around us that are all mixed with plants. Plus even concrete is made from earth. You know, you, it's, it's everywhere. You have clay, you have all these materials. And this is the, what's called the biophilic effect. Biophilic design is all based on the idea of, you know, these shapes and these materials and these um, ways of that light moves that are all conduits to nature. And so that is the difference between that, that full reconnection. I, I kind of get to a place where, yes, there are moments where I'm like sitting in a concrete box and, you know, like maybe I'm in an, in an office building and I'm in the middle of a, of a heavy city. And I do recognize when I don't see kind of nature plants growing in their natural element. Like when I don't see street trees, like there's cities right. that I don't see street trees. And to me, that's, it's painful. There mm -hmm. is some moments, but in that moment, when I don't see the street trees, I recognize that I could either feed the separation or I could just stop and say, wait a minute, what else is around me? That's natural. You know, what else, what am I wearing? And, and I try more to wear natural clothing and I try to enter into that sort of environment. So my food, like that's a great mm -hmm. way of reconnecting. And this is another reason why one of the things I love about living here is the connection we have to our food chain. Like, and whenever I travel, I try to reconnect to that food chain. Like, where did my food come from? Who grew it? Um, you know, where are my house plants? Like all these types of aspects. So, so when I, when I don't see it, instead of feeding that separation, I stop and I say to myself, what is around me yeah. that comes that I can more easily connect to as a natural source. And at a minimum, you can just look up and see the sky and, and see, you know, and, and, and see that sunlight coming through and at least connect to that natural element. And then from there, pull it down into all the others. That's awesome. And it's something that, again, going back to that recognition of really most things, if not everything has that connectedness, right? And I love the example of, you know, just kind of reconnecting with the things that are around you, the wooden table, the cotton clothes, like those are really good, solid ways to just kind of snap yourself kind of back into it when it's, it, when it is starting to pull you away. You mentioned diet. I'm curious if this, well, I, I guess I have two, two questions on this and it feels, one feels kind of odd, I think for me, but th the first question I guess is we, we talk about this this idea of of plant connectedness and i'm curious what is but i guess I'll, I'll say it as plainly as i can do plant do plants feel pain <laughs> yes we'll start there um and then i'm curious like like diet does that does that then become a uh, a plant-based diet or is it really this recognition of everything is connected so if i am eating beef for instance i recognize both like the food source that that provides for for the the cattle and then also the the for lack of a better term the sacrifice the cattle has had to to make to provide for us i'm curious about all of that <laughs> yeah this, these are great questions and and that is like that's all of module six in my course because it, it's they're so important i often people ask me why are we so separated like why are people having such difficulties trying to um, you know, the scientific community is very split on recognizing the intelligence of plants and uh, at, of giving the word of using even the word intelligence when it mm -hmm. talks about when you look at the scientific research and you see the behavior very similar to the way animals respond. And yet we don't want to use the word intelligence. And, and people ask me all the time, why? And I said, it's really, I said, one part is super simple. It's called food. We would like imagine the, the vegans who freak out about the idea of, you know, eating a cow. Imagine when they recognize that your plants are just as intelligent as the cow. Right. Now, all of a sudden it disrupts everything. But then it goes back to you. You actually said it perfectly, which is the recognition that every being, including ourselves, makes sacrifices and recognizing that our, our lives and our intelligences and the way the way that we operate, not intelligence at a um, meant by level, but intelligence as in type and the way that we work with the world is very different. So, you know, a plant, for example, uh, grows very rapidly. Most of the plant that we plants that we eat grow very rapidly. They go to seed. There is a sustainability in there. And so therefore there, yes, do they know they're being eaten? Absolutely. I have a, a blog post that's called, um, 
I killed a flower. I think it's I killed a flower for research, which was really difficult for me. But I spent two weeks listening to an orchid flower die, um, listening with the music of the plants to understand the cycle and this progress, because life and death for a plant is very different. Um, the the nutrients that get put into the seed, the the way that you pass on is very is seen through different eyes or different experiences than we as humans do we could depending on your spiritual belief actually get there because if you depending on what your spiritual belief is for example here in Dominher, where we believe in reincarnation and we believe in choosing actually where we're going to go next and we believe on there's an entire process here for working with um where before a child is born, reconnecting to the soul of somebody that was connected to Dhamma and her in the past. So there's a whole series of things. If I truly feed into that and I believe it, then I recognize that my life has a purpose. And therefore, when I accomplish that purpose, I move on and maybe I'll have another life to experience something else. But it's my overall soul journey that's taking something. So that's a really spiritual way of looking at it. But also you can look at it from a very kind of physical perspective plants live a certain amount of time they propagate in a certain type of way they are very nutritious for us just the same as cows are very nutritious for us just the same as all this says it's really about creating an ecosystem in which there are relationships and in relationships sacrifices are made so when you look at nature and you look into the natural world you start seeing that there's very there's many different types of relationships and even amongst take the human out for one second even amongst plants and animals, there are like the predators, the prey, and relationships change over time. If you do this in a sustainable way, like for example, one of the things I noticed as, as I kind of went through this journey, and again, this plant blindness, this nature blindness to a certain extent, and this nature reconnection was my, my desire for food changed. My desire was much higher quality, much less quantity. I was really not concerned about um, sustainability from the perspective of looking even at the global perspective, which is definitely on my mind all the time, but even from the perspective of just, I want something that's going to be super nourishing so that I don't have to eat as much. So therefore I could kill, you know, like if we could kill one cow or you can kill seven lettuces or you can kill and they, you, you, they, you take care of them. You don't waste it. You, they last longer. You're not so worried about bruised fruit. You're not so, because you recognize that sacrifice. So it changes the way that you approach food. And instead of looking as plant-based only, or this only, or this only, you start looking at the overall, well, how close is my food to me? How close is it from the, from how, how much do I know who, like I, we, we grow and we grow, we raise, um, um, in, in addition to growing plants, but we raise pigs and, and chickens and all kinds of different animals. We have here in the community, an entire herd of cattle and the relationship between the people who raise these animals and the relationship of the people who grow these, these plants are, are, are intertwined in a way that the sacrifice is is respected seen appreciated and only done in that context for that need so so it's really about changing our relationship to food and not looking at as something of comfort food or something i just shove in my mouth or but really looking at that the true nourishment of food comes when this relationship is really strong and therefore i can eat it from the dumb, dumb and hurrying perspective um, of course, there are people who are vegetarians and vegans because their bodies require that. And I totally respect that. But from a philosophical perspective, we're omnivorous with a very close relationship to food. So the closer we can get to the person who's growing it and the, per- the closer the person is who's growing it to the true essence and the true desire, the better it is. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I really appreciate that. And I've been thinking about this um, personally, because I, I am a vegetarian, really borderline pescatarian. Um, and, and I've been having this conversation a lot, not just with myself, but with other folks around why, what, what prompted that. And it became this idea of, well, like, like one of the, one of the hardcore schools of thought is, well, if you cared, you would be vegan. But I think what I'm meaning, like if you care about animal life, right, you would be vegan because you would take nothing, you would, you know, all that stuff. But I'm also, I'm really into what you're saying here about seeing plant intelligence in the same light. And if you are able to recognize kind of the sacrifices of all of it, 
that makes a difference. Um, I'm curious if we could switch gears briefly to um, Dominor and how that came to be for you. Um, for those that don't know, um, as you mentioned, a, an eco-village in Northern Italy, founded, um, in, at least in my research, in 1975. It sounds like uh, officially, um, I'm going to butcher the name, I'm sorry, Oberto Iarauti. Um, yeah, we call him Falco Tarasaco. Say that again, sorry. <laughs> His his name here is Falco, Falco. Tarasaco, mm -hmm. which is which is a hawk, um, hawk dandelion. Okay, hawk dandelion, it, which actually connects pretty well with the uh, the Egyptian city of Damanhur, which mm -hmm. is, has a temple to Horus, uh, the falcon. Um, so it's very connected uh, again yep. there, which I really like. But I'm curious um, how that came to be specifically for you um, and what you've talked a little bit about this already, but what life in an eco community and, and you know, something that you're all working towards kind of not just the same goal, but the same connectedness with each other, with everything, with every being. What has that taught you? Oh, wow. Okay, so I'll try to be not too long because those are fantastic <laughs> too, questions. So, too many questions, yes. <laughs> yeah, so so for me, so I have a really, like I said at the beginning, I have a kind of unusual background. I I, um, I started my career in like high tech, moved to Seattle, worked at places like Real Networks when the beginning of the internet, um, you know, when the internet was really taking off and, um, and then on to Microsoft and did kind of that techie sort. And then I left all of that to because I come from a music background. So I moved all over to production. I used to produce events and I had a like co-owned a circus and did circus events and all kinds of different things and left the United States on a tour with Cirque du Soleil. And so when I came off tour, by this point, I was already um, right before I left for, on tour, I was also I had gotten into back into my spirituality. I was teaching Kabbalah and sacred geometry. So I kind of had these things weaving around technology, spirituality, and then, you know, the whole kind of artistic parts. So these these are kind of my base. And I settled when I left uh, Cirque du Soleil, I settled in Europe. I decided I wasn't going to go back to the United States, spent some time in different countries, ended up in Barcelona when a friend of mine came to visit me. And again, I had been part of a spiritual kind of in this whole world of the spiritual world. So I decided, so she was like, hey, I'm going to be going to Italy. We keep hearing about this place called Domenher. Why don't we go? And I thought it was just going to be, you know, girls weekend. That's it. So I went and I met some people through connections that I had. I was able to like, you know, they helped me book everything. And, you know, Domenher is home to what's often considered the eighth wonder of the world, these underground temples of, of humankind that we've built completely by hand. So, you know, I walked in and I remember thinking to myself in one of the halls, I was like, okay, if this place is bull. I will know it in this hall because it was the hall. It's the hall of water. It was completely um, painted by Falco. It's the hall that kind of, it's just really an unusual hall. And I was sitting in this hall and I walked in and I, you know, I used to teach sacred geometry. So to me, anything that's kind of geometric and, and symbol based, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get, and I walked in and I was like, oh my God, this place is real. Like the magic here is real. And, and then um, when I went back home, my, I remember my mother saying to me, she's like, oh my God, are you moving again? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like living in community, I'd kill somebody. There's just no way. <laughs> but synchronicity here in Domenher has a way of moving things along. And so I was invited to come and help them build out because my background is so unusual to help them build out all the social media strategy and to sort of get Domenher out into the world. You have to understand that Domenher starting in the 1970s in the North, which is very conservative in a Catholic country, we were considered like, the antichrist you know people would splash slash tires they would they would throw molotov talk uh molotov cocktails over and try to burn things like it was crazy in the 70s i wouldn't have been able to survive the 70s and 80s i'm i'm i hands down to all the people who who created dominher in that base so i came here thinking i was going to do six months and then i was going to move back to barcelona i was like okay i'll do six months it'll all be cool yeah that was 10 years ago and i'm still here <laughs> wow and yeah. it shocks me every day when i think about how i survived and all this but the thing is that so dominar in some aspects it's great because it's very flexible it it was really rigid for a long time but then when it hit of stability and that was one of the things i learned which is i mean i had come from sort of 
at that time I was living in the West coast of the United States, very kind of laid back in some aspects. But what I learned is that community sometimes requires going back to that sacrifice, right? A mother sacrifices parts of her life or a parent in general sacrifices parts of their life for their children, right? They give up social events. They sometimes like leave friends behind. They sometimes give up even careers and they do that willfully and wonderfully because it's they're conscious of it. And so when you make that conscious choice, and that was the thing about Domaher at the, the, the shared houses. So we have, people can live in different com- co- uh, combinations. Some of them are shared houses. And in our shared houses, for example, you give up some of your stuff, like my a little bit of space and I give up, maybe I have to share a bathroom with somebody and I have these turns. So I might do dishes once a week or cook dinner or work on the territory. And then there's this entire spiritual ecosystem around us like we have rituals individual as well as shared rituals because we have these collective goals and we have you know a whole governance that we all by our by our very presence buy into and and step into and choose to participate in so there's all these levels of participation and one of the things that Domin her did really well was the fact that it, it is these shared levels of participation it's not everybody doing everything all the same it was like that at the very very beginning and then it very quickly diversified right. so some people are really into nature like i am some people are really into alchemy and um some people really study ancient and civilizations and Atlantis and some some are going into some of the other arts like there's all there's the theater group and all of these are so expressions of the same shared philosophy mm-hmm. so there's a shared constitution and there's a shared myth or philosophy and from there anything can be stemmed out and so that that beautiful part is we have this shared vocabulary the difficult part sometimes is the fact that we are all coming from different levels and, and different different walks of life, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you end up in a situation where like, maybe I did it some way in the United States and you have people here who come from rural Italy and you're just like, well, what about this? And they're like, no, you don't do it that way. She's going, what do you mean you don't do it that way? I did it that way all my life. And yeah. you, but that's part of also the, the work we do living together is that, okay, wait a minute. If I come in that with judgment, then what the hell is the point, right? If instead I come in with curiosity, if I come at it with this concept, of, and this is, a, I work a lot with my clients on this, come at it with curiosity, come at it with wonder of where does that come? come, come at it with the ability to learn and the ability to share and plant seeds. So there's all different aspects of life here. Let me get, let me first say one thing that's super important. This is not utopia. Like, it's a sure. community. We're all here by choice. We love and we're still here, but we're still a work in progress. That's yeah. why we call ourselves a laboratory. You know, the idea <laughs> is that we are a work in progress and you are going to see some things that are not consistent, that are strange. And you're going to be like, I thought you were an eco community. And it's like, we are, but we're also a spiritual community. And we're only 40 something years old. Right. It takes a long time to break through some of these. It's going to take generations yeah. for us to evolve this shared culture, this understanding that, you know, of how do we put all these things because the world around us is still using, you know, the, these old metaphors and we might be, we're still testing out the new metaphors. What, what is, what does it mean to live in connection to Horus? What does it mean to live in connection to these ancient civilizations in a modern time with a future focus. Mm-hmm. Like what, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a fascinating way to put that, like really combining. And again, going back to this kind of connectedness piece, how do we connect the past with the present with the future in a way that's not, not productive, productive feels reductive, um, <laughs> it, it, but in a way that is forward moving and and promotes that again that kind of that that earthly community that global community and and how do you yeah how do you do that and i i imagine that like you said it's not utopia i imagine that there are a hundred different ways 800 different ways to look at what that means and, and and how that works i'm curious specifically for yourself how do you feel you, you talked a little bit about this, but how do you feel you've been able to be your authentic self um, in this community? Yeah, this is this has been for me um, kind of the the real growth. I would say is 
you know, when you first step into the community, it's very easy, especially if like myself who came, you know, I didn't speak the language, didn't, you know, didn't know the culture, was really stepping into something completely unknown to myself. And it's very easy to hide at first mm. to say, okay, well, I'm just going to sit and listen. And I actually did. I mean, like I said, I was a Kabbalah teacher. So I, I took everything that was my sort of teacher um, experienced magician role, like all these things, I put them in a cubby hole consciously and I put them away. And I said, you know what, for a while, um, you know, at least a year, I just want to listen. I want to listen and participate. I'm curious when I made the decision, I was finally going to move and I was going to live here. I'm like, I want to know what it's going to be like to just experience this without all my preconceived notions and my judgments and stuff like that. And to see all the kind of like traits of myself that were out of control sort of spiral out like they all kind of came flowing out and you're like ah and you're in community so you know you're you're sharing space with people you're getting to know them and and i'm i'm a very open person so i was like looking for that vulnerability and all these other things and this was like you know northern italy some people were super conservative and okay how can you be concerned so all of these kind of preconceived notions i had to to let them be and then what ended up happening was that like slowly start to bring it in. And personally, especially with the plants was my, were, were they are my savior in this aspect. Mm-hmm. The plants helped me understand what it meant to just be like, I call it, you know, your authentic self, your true nature. Like what is my true nature? And the more I would connect to plants, the more I started to hear my voice, like come up through them. Like I started to recognize if we, we know from, from science that plants have, you know, we all have, they have the same five senses we do. So they can see, they can hear in their own way and understanding their way of doing it started to help me understand that there is no one way because sight can mean one thing for one person. It can mean one thing for another person. And it can mean something for a a cow versus a tree versus, you know, an insect, a, a lizard or something like that. So that started to help me see that, wait a minute, my point of view is just that it's a point of view. And so, and then from there, well, plants have 15 other senses, at least that we've already discovered. Wow. Does that mean I have all these senses. And so plant, you know, Dominarians talk about the inner senses and more subtle senses. And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like now I have all these other things that I can develop. And then there comes the understanding that, you know, just like, two tulips, one might be pink, one might be blue, one might be, you know, red. Now, all of a sudden I started to see that I can put my own traits together in my own way. And that allowed me to give myself permission to be unusual, to be whatever it is that my combination is. And, you know, seeing that you could look at two trees that are the same, like two chestnut trees, and they don't look anything alike. Just the same as if you really look at twins, they don't look really exactly the same. And all these little realizations that were coming from that mirror of, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm nature, their nature, like, oh, and then I started to turn that to the people in my house. So I would look at somebody and I would be, where are we the same? And where are we different? And where did that point of view come from? And where did my point of view come from? And instead of thinking that there is a right way of doing something, it was more like, what are we choosing to do? So in that aspect, I could still have my point of view, but I could also choose to do something your way because that comes from that compromise from that. So it was all these little steps that if you allow yourself, like I I always talk about being naturally conscious. Like if I allowed myself to naturally be myself, so I give myself full permission to be and believe and think and feel whatever it is, And then I consciously choose which one of these I act on, which one of these I work with, which one of these I express versus which one of these I keep to myself. And I bring it all up to a level of awareness. And we say that here a lot at Dominher, that part of what living in community and spending time in community and doing things is about awareness, bringing things to a level of awareness so that you can consciously work with these tools, somebody I was speaking to today used the perfect words. She was saying it's 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 understanding somebody's tool set and then being able to work with it. And that's exactly it. What's in my toolbox yeah. and how do I use it and how much of it do I use and those aspects. And I think those are the big changes that I have seen in my life. And when I get really upset with myself or something, I recognize that 
it's because I feel stifled. But if I feel stifled and I feel like I can't express that, then then I got to go look at what have I created around me that doesn't allow me to express that. And that's that's one of those things that the mirrors, the constant mirrors of community, which can be beautiful. And they can also be a little bit like, oh my God, I need some distance. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm going out. (laughs) Absolutely. It sounds like there's a lot of agency, a lot of empowerment, and not just from yourself, but it sounds like the community as a whole really buys into that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's beautiful, really. You talked about and, and I think this has really been a theme today, and I'm sure a theme in your life, certainly in the last 10 years, but this idea of, of just living consciously. And you have this, um, for lack of a better term, this mantra, uh, consciously leading your life with confidence. And I'm curious where that came from and and how you've seen that, not just apply to your own life, but how you help others do that. Yeah, that that really comes from the perspective that when I when I started when I started doing mentorship and coaching, um, you know, part of the the coaching process is about being that support system for your your client and really allowing your client to drive the process and and you know choose the direction and helping just be that mirror. Which of course, being in community, mirroring like being that mirror for somebody is really important. But I recognized very quickly that most of us are to a certain extent, I work with a lot of artists and healers and very creative entrepreneurs because that's that's an that's a part I love and multi-potentialites, especially people with lots of passions. And there's still these boxes that people have that for themselves. Like if I like one of my clients, for example, is a trained musician. She's a French horn player. And she is a um, beautiful designer. She designs wonderfully and she does branding and website design. And she also teaches um, music history at a university. So she was like, all these things were separate. And what we worked on was giving herself permission to recognize and understand that it is her musicianship and her um, her knowledge of the artistic world that informs. She's also a yoga teacher and all these things informed her design. And the more she allowed that to come out with confidence of saying, my clients will get it. My people will get it. Um, the more then she was able to completely embrace who she truly is, her authentic self and her designing work, her, de- her development work, her branding work became more unique and more people were seeking her, are seeking her out for that. And the same thing in life. I, I do a lot of like, I do some business coaching and some life coaching but it, it's all about leadership about because the leadership is I lead my life. I don't get led. I don't, right. I don't allow myself. I, I choose when I want to follow and when I want to stand and be a leader. But more importantly, the leader of today is about collaboration. And the only way you can truly collaborate without any jealousy, without any kind of anger coming out is when I know who I am. So again, I can go back and make those choices. Yes, I give. No, here I receive. And these pieces are missing, are, are working in this moment. So that's the confidence. It's that that permission to be confident about the fact that all of these talents I have, all of these skills that I have, um, I, I, I talk a lot with my clients about the idea that there are no negative traits there's just dosage. How much do I use it? And when do I use it? Like, I'm a really judgmental person. I always say that the first line of my book is that I'm that, that I'm going to write is going to be I'm the most positive negative person you've ever met, because my mind really does think in negatives. And forever, I use that as a way to just punish myself. Until the day that I realized that, wait a minute, if I use that in the right dose, and at the right time, that's a really skillful way of 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 being able to understand a situation that judgment allows me to break through some of the superficial parts of it and understand what's going on under the surface and from there i can then use that to give constructive feedback to support somebody to enable them and create a support platform from which they can do it so rather than using that judgment as something that breaks down i was able to use that as a discernment to then build up so when i work with my clients it's about building up that kind of level of confidence every single trait that you have 
no matter how horrible you think it is right now, is wonderful and important and serves a purpose. And we just have to learn what the purpose is and how to mix it in with your other stuff in order to create confidently the life that you want to lead. I love that concept of dosage and this idea of almost neutrality, right? Traits mm -hmm. don't inherently have to be positive or negative. They can be neutral and they apply sometimes equally, sometimes inequally to situations. And what I'm also hearing is when you talked about judgment, it's, I mean, that's an evolutionary trait. We need, we need to have judgment. We need exactly. to have discernment, but being able to apply that in a way that's how, how is essentially, how is this helpful? How is this helping me versus how is it hindering me? And, and again, applying the neutrality piece to that, like, how does this help this specific situation versus this one? And, and, and really kind of tapping into that. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I'd love that because as someone who is an overthinker and, and, and kind of finds myself down those paths as well, I think that is the, the traits that make us powerful, <clears throat> excuse me, the traits that make us powerful are also the ones that may detract from us. And, and recognizing that I think is, is really important to growth. And so I, I really love that. Right. Switching back to kind of this nature uh, connectedness piece. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit about, um, I believe you said it was an orchid that you watched die for a couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. In general, sorry, because that sounds painful. I mean, really, like truly, like, like especially that connection. But how do humans and plants respond to crises? Do you see similarities? Do you see differences? Um, how does that? How does that kind of show up? Yeah, and and this is um, I, there's definitely the differences mainly are again choices that we make out of our fears. So if you think about I. I I always think about the fact that we, to a certain extent, have this low level fear that we, most people, most human beings live with a low level fear. In part, it comes from um, our, our inability to feed ourselves. I mean, most people don't, are not able to feed themselves anymore unless they have money to go to the supermarket. They don't know, we don't know how to build shelter. There's all these different aspects themselves. And that also, that fear sort of manifest, um, manifests itself in many different levels where we're afraid of we're afraid of change. We think we want change. We use the words transformation, for example, all the time, but we actually are not very good at it because the human being, the number one sense that we have is the sense of vision. You know, mm -hmm. where a, a dog, for example, it's the sense of smell, but for a human, it's the sense of vision, which means if I can't see the future, I'm afraid of it. So we, we're not very good at, we're only good if we can imagine what the leap is going to be, if we can imagine where we're going to go next. The idea of a leap into real darkness or a leap into the complete unknown is mentally is stimulating, but in reality, not very, not something we often do. And so therefore, when you, when you kind of work with plants, you start to recognize that um, and you, you see this also in other in other uh, species, but in plants specifically is instead of nature in general has one major goal, evolution. We want mm. the, the nature wants to evolve. And we as humans think about transforming rather than evolving. Mm. And we really do want to evolve. Evolve means I take everything that it is and I move forward with it and I, I make it more complex. I use it better. I work with it. I evolve into the next level. And evolution doesn't necessarily mean I have this long-term vision. It just means I know what to do next, or I'm, I'm working on what's coming next. And more importantly, evolution often takes what's around me. So why is it that plants for 470 million years have been able to live on this planet and understand and work through all of the different climate change of the past that's happened. Why? Because every single mutation, every single variation, nature in general, all the different species outside are able to adapt to changing conditions. That's the way we're, they're trained. So when a crisis hits, rather than giving it a negative connotation, which we already have with the word crisis, it's just another mutation. It's just another something that's entered into the system. And that has can have really amazing benefits. For example, in an old growth forest, if you have a fire that comes through, that's a necessary part. It looks like a crisis. Oh my God, we have this you know horrible fire coming. But that fire allows species of plants, like certain types of pines, 
that their cones only open for high temperature forests because it requires a certain type of light. And that light gap is only created when fire burns out some of the density. So there's already a system in place from nature through all these evolutionary tries that's happened to um, work with the crisis, to take the crisis and actually see the positive benefits of it. And so that's something that we as humans can, can reacquire because we are nature, so we have the same ability. So, you know, just like we know that, um, you know, any kind of uh, fight or flight response seems like a negative because it means something scared us, but the positive is that I'm gonna run really fast. Right. And that might be what helps me get to something that I need, something new, an area that I couldn't get to because of that fear. So if instead of looking at a, a crisis situation as a situation that is something I need to take back to its original point of origin, in other words, I need to restore back to what it is. And this is the reason why we're changing the vocabulary, even in the climate conversations from sustainability, which is keep the status quo to regeneration and you know, growth, because that's really the direction that we want to be taking things. And that's the reason we want to take it for ourselves. When a crisis hits, I don't want to go back, like this pandemic, people who are thinking, I just want things to go back to normal. I don't. I don't want normal. This is a great opportunity. Look at all the things that have happened new. People yeah. have learned how to work from home better, to spend more time with their kids. People have learned how to who are the people that are most important to them and therefore they want to discover new ways to connect either online or in person. Look at all the amazing things that have happened. Have we had crap ones happen? Absolutely. Has there been a toll? Absolutely. But let's work on those to evolve those things rather than thinking we're gonna go backwards in time. And so that's the way nature would approach it. Nature would look at it and say, okay, what, what can I gather from this that, that has been something great and let me expand on that and then let me diminish the impact of this stuff that's negative by evolving even those. So nature always just kind of looks in, in, um, in functions. What are the functions that I can take and what are the functions that I can move forward and which ones can I just let fizzle out because they're not. And so that's the constant evolution and that constant level of complexity. That's beautiful. <laughs> I don't even know how, how else to say it. The idea of, and I'm really glad you said it because I've, I've had this kind of internal issue with the, the, the word sustainability because of that, because of what you just said, this idea of what are, what are we maintaining? What are we sustaining, right? And this idea of regeneration, this idea of growth, which obviously plays into that, that evolutionary piece is something that speaks to me so strongly. And as someone who's probably admittedly too forward in future thinking at times, <laughs> uh, that's something that I, I'm always constantly looking for. What makes sense? What is the next step? What is the piece that, how do we grow into that? And I think it, it really does make a lot of sense for, and again, I also think that evolution has been, um, it's been beaten up right by the mm -hmm. by the the faith community and and things like that and it's really kind of been turned into something that it's that it's not and turned into something that's that's used as almost like a weapon or 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 things like that but really when you think about it the the evolution and we also always think macro level when we think of evolution we never look at that micro level or at least you know those of us who are not consciously doing it we don't look right. at that micro level but looking at those micro level evolutions are so important but also not forgetting and this is kind of what you were saying about like we don't want to go back to the past but we can use the things that we've learned to continue to grow to your point i think one of the in my opinion, one of the benefits of the pandemic and the isolation is that isolation taught us how much we need community exactly. and how, how much we are missing that when we don't have it. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of us took that for granted, especially those of us who don't live in community all the time, right? Um, and, and this idea of we need that, we, we need to understand that we are connected and that we, and we have to push forward together. Um, right. One of the things that I looked up uh, in preparation for our 
uh, conversation was just this, this idea of nature connectedness. And one of the people that I came across was P. Wesley Schultz, who talked about kind of three different areas of, of nature connectedness, the cognitive piece, so how integrated one feels with nature, the affective piece, um, the individual's desire or care for nature, and then the behavioral piece, the commitment to protect the natural environment. I'm curious of, of those three things, um, you know, what, I, obviously there's, there's going to be different ones that kind of pop up for you, but as someone who's so connected with nature and the plant piece is, is so integral to who you are, how do, how do any of those show up, but, but really just what does that kind of look like for you? Yeah, I mean, these, these are three major kind of buckets, the ways that you can look at this. And I, I think these round up all into, um, into what is considered awe, like what is that awe and wonder, which is what we're finding is the piece of nature is the, the, the interaction we have with with nature. And when I say nature in the most global sense, even our own nature of like, looking at my body and going, wow, that's so cool that it does that. And it's that awe and that nature that allows the space for whatever definition will come behind it, right? When I look at my body with whether it's a, I don't know, a, a stretch mark or a gray hair and, or, you know, and I look at it with awe and wonder, all of a sudden it becomes a thing of beauty. And mm -hmm. from a spiritual perspective, the word beauty, for example, from a Kabbalistic perspective, beauty is connected to um, Tiferet, which is kind of the highest level that I could reach in the physical space, because it is beauty that is that sacrifice, the that beautiful feeling um, of that I do the right thing, not because I'm afraid, and not because somebody else told me to, and I want to make them happy, but because it's the right thing to do. And that goes to the behavior, as you had said, and the cognition, that understanding that that truth is uh, multifaceted, but so I need to find my truth. Mm. And I need to step into that truth. And that's the part. So that effective um, and cognitive, and, and I find like the intersection of those three, right? The behavior, the cognitive and the effective, um, yeah, is, is really that part of beauty and that part yeah. of wonder. That is where I, um, if I sit in that, that is that presence because it's the presence that says everything I do has an impact. So therefore, why am I doing it? Right. And that's going back to, you know, had said naturally, you know, naturally lead your life with confidence. It's I want to be confident that I'm making that decision. Like I'm the first one that says even to to my clients and my students, I said, look, I'm not perfect. Like I go to the grocery store and I struggle sometimes. I don't know what to buy when I can't get to certain types of things. I don't even something that has a label that says sustainable. I don't know what that really means right. or understand it or you know, when I have to go, when I go buy clothing, especially, I'm, I'm always looking to understand because, yeah, you can get organic cotton, but that's not, you know, if it's been traveling the world 17 times in order to get to my shirt, there's something wrong there, you know, all these pieces. But if I make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to do my best, I'm going to put my best energy into it, and I'm going to keep asking those questions, and I'm not going to judge myself when I do something wrong, because when I judge myself, then I just say, screw it, I'm, I screwed up, it's done, I'm over. But instead, if I'm, I'm, I'm in, intrigued by it, and I find it as this fun challenge, and I know that it's something I want to get to, going back to that evolution, then I can take those little baby steps, and I can forgive myself when I screw up, but I can also ask for help. And I can, I can learn from others because I don't know everything. So the intersection is really that wonder yeah. in that beauty. And that's, what's beautiful. What's beautiful. And going back to bliss, you know, we were, we started the whole conversation with bliss is that bliss is that beauty that says, I am the best me I could be. And even though I'm, I'm flawed and even though I make mistakes and even though, you know, stuff goes wrong, but that's the best step I could have taken in that moment. That's, that's, where I was and I did it with my full consciousness. So I'm going to absorb everything that comes from it and it's good and it's bad. And the bad is going to be educational and the good is going to be, you know, nourishing and everything in between is going to be an opportunity for me to connect to another person or another thing, because I don't isolate myself at that point, because I know that I am where I need to be and that I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah, the the idea of the bad being nourishing is not something that is, it's not, um, it's not a default, right, for people because they they do find that judgment. 
and yet, you know, I'm struck by the the concept of awe and and wonder and thinking about people always talk about like trying to see the world through a childlike lens and, and, and through that awe and wonder. And really what that means is that you're not clouded by the judgment. You're not yes. you're not you know, stopped by all of the the outside forces or even the internal forces that are saying, wait, this, this is not how you should be thinking of things. You are just able to experience the world and say, this is beauty. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's true beauty. And to be able to do that, I think is to be able to retrain yourself. Um, and, and like you said, it's not that there aren't stumbling blocks. There are times mm -hmm. where we, where we're still going to be judgmental of ourselves, but it's just kind of reframing that. And I think that that's, right. uh, that's amazing. So you mentioned bliss. We're wrapping up here. The all, every time we always wrap these, uh, we wrap these interviews up as how do others find bliss in this way? And specifically, um, if someone's really just trying, they're on those, you know, those first steps to reconnecting with nature, how are they going to be able to find bliss? What are, what are your suggestions for our, for our listeners? So my suggestion is you, you mentioned childlike wonder, right? Children, there, there was a study called the nature of Americans. It was thousands of people from from adults all the way up to children. And they found that the biggest difference between the way that nature is perceived between adults and children is that adults believe that nature is out there. So, you know, I've got to pack up the car, go camping. I need to go into the mountains. I need to go take an hour long walk in a hike or a park or whatever. And a child instead steps out of the house and looks down and sees, you know, a dandelion growing on the side of the, the sidewalk and says, Ooh, cool. Look nature, you know, or, or sees a tree and says, I'm going to go high, you know, hike up there or looks at the grass. And so that's that state of wonder, that state of always being open to whatever it is, that childlike wonder that we have. So part of what we want is to recapture that. And an easy, super easy way of recapturing that is one of two things. One is your houseplants. And the other one is just grass because these are universal. Most likely you have a houseplant in your house. If you don't, you have grass somewhere around you. If you were to sit with grass you will notice that grass very rarely is alone. Like there's always multiple blades. There's almost always multiple species. There's almost always some kind of flower or other kind of plant, like wild plant that's growing there. There's probably some insects if you watch for a little while. So if you just sit and just observe, and that could be tasting a blade of glass, the, a grass that could be, you know, touching a blade of grass that could be watching what happens in grass. I guarantee that time will like fly by and you will sort of allow yourself to sort of float off into the what what what, what what's going on here and and see and start to see and recognize the little tiny pieces of nature that are around you the little tiny plants that are in some ways reaching out and calling out to you. That's awesome. Yeah, I I, I, you were saying that, and I was brought back to a moment of my childhood. I was actually brought back to two moments, but but one of the moments that I was brought back to was sitting at the. There was a park across the street from my house growing up, and just sitting there and just remembering, feeling like the grass was kind of reaching to me. Like if mm -hmm. I put my arm down, it kind of like formed around me, and like this idea of like that was oh that was really cool, and this like kind of connect. Like I didn't realize it was a connection then, but but this idea of it being connection. And the other unfortunate childhood memory that came back for me was you started out by saying that that adults see it as nature is out there. Nature is mm -hmm. something that's not connected with us. It is it's something out there. And it reminds me of a story. My grandmother, um, my grandmother was a daycare provider. And um, one of the students went to some sort of um, like summer camp or one of the, one of the kids went to some sort of summer camp and came back and there were, um, like little ants in our kitchen. And, um, she, like my grandmother was stepping on the ants and this little girl was like, don't step on the ants, grandma. Those are God's creatures. And my grandma's response, which I'll never forget to this day was, well, then they can stay outside with God. And then she stepped on another one. And I just remember like, it strikes me every, like every time I see ants, I think of that story, but like, but I think that speaks to that like idea of like, there, there is that, there is separation. that piece that's missing. Yeah. That separation. Um, well, this has been an absolute delight. I have just so enjoyed talking with you to Grilla. Um, thank you so much for joining me um, today. Uh, we could spend hours on this for sure. We could we could dive into just plant music, I'm sure, for for several yeah. hours. But thank you so much for for joining us. 
My absolute pleasure. It's been it's been really fun. I, I, I love the way you put the pieces together. So this has been really exciting. Well, thank you. Um, as we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have so I have a naturally conscious community. It's uh, very simple. It's just community.tigrilagardenia.com. And that is a place where we exactly talk about these topics. And it's also where you can find my courses. I have a course, like I said, called Reconnect with the Plant Kingdom and also some other activities. And I also am available for anybody who's interested on one-on-one for you know mentorship and coaching. So really just as a great place to meet like-minded people, to have these types of conversations and to explore how working closer and how stepping back into that reconnection can really transform and, and evolve your own life. That's awesome. We will put the uh, the community uh, website in the show notes so you all can connect. And uh, I, I'll tell you just from experience, uh, Chigrila is very good at just responding and being communicative and, and things like that. So uh, this, again, has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me or you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at YourBlissPodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all of the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. Mm-hmm.